I think technology has gotten to a point where you actually don't need to stick with the old ideas of what a local business is anymore. And I think that change has happened pretty recently. So people still in their minds think local business. No, that means you have to stick with the place. You have to go into a store every morning. In reality, it's not the case anymore with technology. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Recently, we've received a lot of great feedback from episodes featuring people sharing their entrepreneurial origin stories. You know, real people building the sorts of businesses that give you time, freedom, and income flexibility. These are not guru types giving advice. These are real learned experiences. Hopefully, that can inspire you to find your own journey, regardless of where you're at. And today, we have a story from someone who has walked a different path to location independence by opening a local business, which he operates remotely. My name is Neil Parekh. I run a company called Made This Cleaning, which does cleaning services, as you would expect, in California. So in Los Angeles, Orange County, and San Francisco. What's a little bit different about it is we specialize in what I call Airbnb cleaning. So like vacation rentals and cleaning them in between guests. So I first met Neil in person a few weeks ago, where he gave a workshop at our DCX event. That's sort of a member-organized event. In this case, I was the member along with Catalina Alvarez, our community director. That event brought 37 members of our online community, the Dynamite Circle, together. And at that event, he had some fascinating insights about seizing opportunities that others often overlook in the digital space, about taking the leap from his corporate job and about why he started Made This, partly because of a problem he saw slowly detonating within his parents' home. So I thought, let's get that story on the pod. So here it is. But we actually begin our conversation in the murky world of venture capital, something that Neil knows a lot about because that's where he started his career in Los Angeles, straight out of college. Every venture capital company has a different initiative of what they're trying to invest in. For us, it was tech companies, usually software as a service companies, so companies which had a lot of recurring revenue. For us, we were looking at companies, let's say, north of like $7 million in revenue. Companies usually with founders who had done it before, had some scar tissue per se, and who just needed some more money to get to that next stage. That's probably the biggest thing we're looking for. So you would like cold approach, you would like find people... Through internet research, and then what? You just call founders? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you're offering someone millions of dollars, it's a little bit easier than if you're trying to sell them something, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, in a sense, you guys were selling them something, right? We were selling them something, yeah, definitely. But, you know, for whatever reason, I think it was a little bit easier. I'd reach out to them and, you know, you'd make it sound very nice. Like, hey, came across your company on Inc. 500, looked into your website, looked great. Can we hop on a call and talk about it? And like any sales type of job, you know, most of it wasn't relevant, but at least the goal was to build relationships. And I think what I like the most is we'd find the companies that actually do the process of investing in them. And I think that's where I learned a ton about business in general. Definitely a crash course for me. 
And I think systems was the biggest thing which caught me off guard. I didn't realize how many systems are needed as part of a business. You kind of know it in general, I guess. But when you actually look in under the hood and say, oh, wow, these guys have a lot of people doing different things and you really need to tie it together. I think that kind of caught me off guard saying, wow, this is, you know, there's a big operation going on over here. And I didn't realize it required that much work. And, you know, growing up, my parents had video rental stores. If you remember, like the old blockbusters and stuff. Yeah. So growing up, I just kind of grew up around small business. Did you ever rent videos? You might be too young for that, man. Did I? Re- yeah, of course we rented videos. Oh, man. <laughs> we had the old, like, Laserdisc. Do you remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Laserdisc, VHS, all of them. Man, I would grow up just going there, grabbing videos every weekend and just going through all of them. So you had, like, all the free videos you wanted. All the free videos I wanted, all the free candy I wanted. It was a great place to grow up. <laughs> I grew up around small business, basically, so that's kind of what I knew. And I think looking at this VC world, where I'm looking into these real larger companies, it's run in a completely different way, right? It's, it's, it's a bit of a different thinking compared to the small business. What happened to your family's business when video rental scores sort of went away? Yeah, so this thing called Netflix happened, and then a lot of the business started to go away from that. It was quite a financial crunch. I think I was quite young at the time when it really hit. So, you know, for a while, it was the golden age for my parents where in the 90s, everyone's going to video rental stores. It was very good for a while. Then it started to get really bad for a while. And honestly, I think that was the impetus for partially me starting Made This is I started working and I realized my parents needed something for themselves since video rental stores are not really going to do it anymore. And that got me to start something a bit on the side and it kind of morphed into what it is now. At the beginning, my parents work for the company, and even now, they still work as part of the company. So it's a little bit of a shared thing right now. How long was it that you worked in this VC world? Did you, what was like sort of the scope of your career there? Yeah, so I joined, and when I joined, I think we had about six or seven people. It was one small group as part of a larger company. And by the time I left, I think we were up to 17 or 18. So it grew quite rapidly. So I grew along with it. So I started just as what's called an associate. You know, you're hitting the phones and getting deals, working on the deals. After a while, I moved up to a senior associate, which was the point in time where, where I left. So I was there for a total four years. At the end of it, I was running the team of finding new deals and also working on some deals, but mostly in charge of actually sourcing the deals and finding the companies to invest in. All right. So you're living in L.A., working with these really cool companies and stuff. Was there some moment along the way when you started thinking, maybe this isn't the career for me? Maybe I should go into cleaning. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I always wanted a side business no matter what. It was something I just wanted. The idea of having myself tied to one revenue source was never appealing to me. And I also, you know, saw from my parents and their financial fall of, of what that does if you have one revenue source and it goes away. So I definitely wanted something on the side to work on, and I wasn't really sure what. Tell me about that search, because you're working pretty hard, probably not nine to five. And if you're probably driving around, spending a lot of time on the highway in California, if you're anything like most residents of LA, what was your process for sort of looking for this alternate revenue? So Dan, you ever heard of something called Reddit? Yes, i heard of it. Yeah, heard of it, <laughs> but dabbled in it. <laughs> we should describe what Reddit is for people who have don't appreciate the genius that is this community website. Reddit is the best way to procrastinate and not do anything, but it is also equally awesome. It's a website, which is kind of like every forum in the world put together. So any interest you want, you kind of go in there and look at it. 
Also, if you're working at a corporate job, it's a good place if you don't want to get your work done and kill some time. So, you know, I was working late nights many times and many times as a break, or if I just had to stay in the office, I would go on Reddit. And there's a subreddit called Entrepreneur. And the top post on Entrepreneur was this guy who had started a cleaning company. And he listed the steps on there to start a just a local cleaning company. So I thought, you know, what the hell, I will try this out while I have some downtime over here. So just started it on the side. You order a cleaning service for your house, and we will send a cleaner out there and clean your house. Simple, very simple. And it started to grow, surprisingly. And then there was a point in time where we were getting a lot of calls from people who wanted to do Airbnb cleaning, which is, you know, let's say you have an Airbnb unit, your guest checks out at 11, next one checks in at 3. A lot of stuff has to happen in between that time. You got to clean, check for damages, replace inventory. And if you have your own home, you could hire someone to do it, or you could just outsource it. So we started getting a lot of calls from these people. And at first I said, no, that's not what we do. We just do regular cleaning. And then kind of looked into a bit more. And I thought, wow, this is actually a pretty huge opportunity. And that's when we started to dive a bit more into that. Do you remember what was it about that original post that resonated with you amongst all the hundreds of posts that you could have found in that subreddit? You know, honestly, I think it was trial and error. I, I tried a lot of different things. And this was also around the time I read the four-hour work week, started to learn a bit more about the whole digital nomad movement. So I was trying everything from getting microblogs to e-commerce websites to everything. So it, I think this was just one of the different things I was trying. Now, it's not very common that someone reads the four-hour work week and then decides to open a local cleaning business. Yeah. But there's a kind of a genius to it. I mean, did you worry about that in retrospect? Like, if I'm going to start this cleaning business, then I might have to you know, restrict my mobility eventually once it becomes successful. I don't think I intended for it to go on this long with the cleaning company. I thought it was something I do on the side while I start e-commerce or microblogging or something. I, you know, you see that picture online of a guy sitting on the beach with his laptop and you think, I want that. I want to, I want to be a nomad. I want to go around the world and do this glamorous lifestyle. And normally when you think cleaning company, you don't really think about that. So while this thing was building and growing, I would also work on the side, try to start a microblog or e-commerce website or anything like that. And I remember the exact moment. So made this was growing pretty well. And I think I was up in San Francisco and I was at a conference for the company Flippa, which is like a website buying and selling type of platform. I think I was starting like a blog on pet hair vacuums or something ridiculous. And then a guy came up to me and we were talking. I mentioned that I had made this and he he just asked us a question. Well, if you already have the business, why are you here? And I just, I didn't really have an answer for him. And then that was kind of my aha moment of, well, I do have a business. Why can't I just transform that and make it more location independent? And that's where this whole quest came about. Now, what do you think people misunderstand about location independence and brick and mortar or local companies? Because I think we've talked about this often on the show. There, there is that idea that you want to jump into these like quote sort of location independent business models. Yet so many of the people that I know that have true location independence, they have some of the most old school businesses you've ever seen in your life. So what's, what is it that we don't understand about this dichotomy? I think traditionally small business and local businesses, people have an idea in their head of like an old mom and pop shop selling like canned goods or something like that. And that's kind of the image people have when you say local business. But I think the day and age we're at right now where technology has moved so rapidly is you could have a global team. You could have it literally office list. That's kind of the, the age we're living in right now. So I think technology has gotten to a point where you actually don't need to stick with the old ideas of what a local business is anymore. 
And I think that change has happened pretty recently. So people still in their minds think local business, no, that means you have to stick with the place. You have to go into a store every morning. In reality, it's not the case anymore with technology. And what specifically do you think has changed? I think the way we market and the way we build our teams now is a little bit different, specifically in the way we build our teams. I'll give an example. My team, we have about 10 people in operations and maybe 35 cleaners, but the 10 people in operations are across six different countries. We don't need people to go into an office anymore. Just the way things are set up with technology, I could have calls routed to my team in South Africa. I could have my my operations team over in Central America where they could get along better with, with a lot of our cleaners. So I think the setup of actually hiring is now global and we don't actually need to service customers on site because it's a service-based business where we're sending people out remotely. So because of that, it opens the door of what we can do because there's no actual physical location that we have to have a ton of staff on. Can you take me back to that moment? I mean, when did you start to think that maybe you would become a full-time entrepreneur instead of keeping that, that really great job that you had built for yourself? I worked on it two years part-time before I quit and started doing it full-time. So I remember doing those two years part-time. I was just kind of building it and growing. <laughs> I remember I uh, I would always go on my lunch breaks and get on the phones and walk around the block around my work and just do a bunch of work calls for Made This. And everyone from my office would see me. So my nickname around the office was the drug dealer because I'd be walking around and doing like calls during, during lunchtime and everyone would always see me. So it got to a point in two years of doing it part-time where I was making enough money from it to support myself if I decided to quit. And I always knew I wanted to quit and travel. So it was around the two-year mark where I said, okay, I'm going to quit and do this full-time. And that's when I did quit and started to travel. I went first to Latin America and started working on this full-time. And in that first year of me doing it full-time, the business doubled and it kept going from there. What percentage of your salary were you making from your business? Is there like a ratio that you remember that you started to feel comfortable with? Was it that you replaced your salary or that you just made enough to cover expenses? It was mostly covering expenses. And I, you know, I, I, did, I did a decent amount in savings, but I think in, it was maybe half or even like a quarter of what I was making before. And in reality, I just, I wanted enough money to travel and sustain myself. So no, I, I did not wait until I made back my salary. And I, I generally live pretty frugally anyway. So it, it wasn't really too much needed to support my lifestyle. And also when you're in Latin America, things are quite cheap. So it was okay. This week's episode is brought to you by Dynamite Jobs. Dynamitejobs.co is a service that helps talented professionals find jobs with entrepreneurial companies. And most importantly, these companies allow you to take your career and live and work from anywhere, whether that's overseas or in the comfort of your own home. Now for the entrepreneurs listening, we specialize in helping you find talented marketing, customer service, operations and admin people to join your remote internet business. Now there's a lot of advantages to hiring remote staff, but it can be challenging. And at Dynamite Jobs, our role is to help make that easier on you, the entrepreneur. Our process means you're only going to have to post your job once and we'll share it with our community of more than 10,000 remote workers. The best part is most companies end up hiring someone within 30 days. And if you can't find someone within 60, we'll refund your job posting for free. So if you're looking to hire remote team members, head over to dynamitejobs.co and enter TMBA on the checkout page to get 50% off your first posting. And if you're a talented professional, 
Looking for an exciting career that you can do from anywhere? Go sign up for the email list where we send out jobs on a weekly basis. Go check it out. Give us your feedback, guys. We'd love to hear what you think about dynamitejobs.co. You know, after the first year of you being on the road, living wherever you want, doubling your business, what would you have gone back and told the office version of yourself about the reality of what you're hearing about on these blogs and what you're reading about? I mean, honestly, I'd probably say do it sooner. (laughs) I think the idea of traveling and working, at least working on my own business, it's made me grow personally much more than I did in my four years on my other job. Just running my own business and having to do that full time as well as traveling, I think the the amount of experience you get in that and the amount of personal growth is significantly more than I got in a normal corporate job. So I'd probably say absolutely just go for it and see where it goes. Worst case, I'd be able to figure out something else, but I'd probably have told myself to just do it earlier. You think there's an enormous opportunity for listeners of this show to build local businesses if what they want is more time and mobility? Yes, I find your case quite compelling, so let's start to unpack it a little bit. One thing we we discussed before, too, was how local businesses have this stigma against them. Maybe not against them, but a stigma of what a local business is. You need to go into a retail store every morning. You need to be present. It, it's kind of seen as an old-school mom-and-pop type of thing to do. And a lot of times when people, let's say listeners of the show, they're probably looking at the same picture I did of the dude on the beach with a laptop and saying, I need to do that. How do I do that? You know, I need to do something from my computer and I need to be able to do it remotely. So the initial thought is I'm going to get into, like I said, e-commerce, pet hair vacuum, microblogs, anything like that. But, you know, this is, like I mentioned, the cleaning company is kind of something I fell into, right? I I tried a bunch of things out. This thing started to work and then it figured out, okay, I got to make this location independent. And once I figured that out, I kind of learned a bit more about the opportunity within it, specifically around competition. So if I have an e-commerce website or a microblog or an online marketing company, I'm literally competing against the world at that point because everyone anywhere on a beach in any part of the world can start that company. If it's a local company, I'm only competing against my local market. Now, generally, if you look at the local market, the players in there are not going to be as sophisticated as someone who runs a global marketing company, right? So when you bring these high-level tactics of having a, a big business or a big company down to the local level, you could absolutely dominate the local competition. And that wasn't a realization I had initially. I wish I could say I was genius enough to think about this from the get-go, but it's kind of something I fell into and figured out, holy crap, there's actually a huge opportunity here because no one is doing this yet. And when you say like tactics from a big company, you mean stuff that might come pretty familiar to listeners of this show. Like we're talking about basic marketing sales funnels, for example. Oh, yeah. And you know, if I show you some websites of our competitors for cleaning companies in Los Angeles, there's literally a guy who has a GeoCities website, you know, someone else who has like an old GoDaddy website. And of course, there's some players who know what they're doing, but the competition isn't always up to speed. So if I say things like SEO, most people know what it means versus a lot of local companies don't know what that means. If I say Google AdWords, most listeners of the show would know what that means. Most local companies don't know what that means. And these are pretty basic digital marketing tactics. But this is stuff that the local competition oftentimes is not doing. Now, a lot of people are going to say, look, you have actual cleaners going into actual homes in Los Angeles, and you're hanging out in Europe. How is it that you're recruiting people, managing people, managing quality control? I mean, the idea of it just makes you want to go start a pet hair control microblog or whatever. What do you say to somebody who says, that seems too daunting? I'd say that is perfect because that's a great barrier to entry for your competition. People aren't getting into this because they think that exact thought, but in reality is you don't need that much 
on the ground staff to actually make this work. So I have a few requirements I'm looking for if we're looking to expand in any different city for a local business. The one thing in terms of operations, is I want to make sure there's some local manager on site. I want someone to do interviews for me for cleaners, check things as needed. So that would be the local manager. I'm usually someone part-time just to do that. Everything else, if you think about it, could be remote. So I'll give an example. We have our cleaners. Many are Hispanic. It's California. A lot of them are Hispanic. We hire our managers in Latin American countries. So we have a couple in Honduras, one in Mexico. They could easily connect with the cleaners in a very similar culture, and they could just manage them remotely over the phone. There's nothing that they need to be their boots on the ground for. Whereas in LA, if you wanted someone as a native Spanish speaker to like manage your staff on the ground and they're living LA living costs versus hiring someone in Latin America, you could potentially get like a professional versus someone that is like no professional experience that is just looking to make a buck. Exactly. All the people we're hiring are college educated, very sharp people. And you could bet that most local businesses are not doing that at all of, of finding this talent outside of the local area. They just think they need to hire locally. So the talent pool is so much bigger and you could use that to your advantage. So Another example is all of our calls, when they come in, get routed to our team in South Africa. It's funny. It's a group of Jehovah's Witnesses who live in South Africa. <laughs> if you think about it, Jehovah's Witnesses spend two years basically doing door-to-door sales, so they kind of come trained with sales. <laughs> they have a really cool South African accent. It sounds kind of like a British accent, so Americans absolutely love it. And also, the South African rand, the, the currency there, is not doing that great. So I, when I pay them in U.S. dollars, it, it goes a long way. You know, that sort of competitive advantage, which it could be a little bit slight, but compared to our local competition, they don't have that. And that's something we could do because we're a global company. Say I take what you're saying to heart. What are some ways that I might put this opportunity to work for me? There's two strategies, I think, when I'm expanding to a different city. One would be, which city do I go to and what market do I go to? So I'll give an example. I was at DCX Barcelona, and I met up with a fellow DC Keen. And we were walking around, it was the World Cup time, and we were trying to find a place to watch the games. And we were like, okay, let's hop on Google. And we hopped on Google. None of the local restaurants had any reviews on Google. None of them had anything on Yelp. They just weren't doing anything because over there, they didn't understand they needed to do that. And that's an example of a market where you're like, wow, there's actually opportunity here. No one's doing this, even though there's a huge tourist population. And I think a lot of people who travel will probably go into cities and say, wow, they really don't have this over here yet at all. That would be an example of a place I'd say, okay, there might be opportunity here and how you identify a good city to go to is where are they not up to speed with marketing? Where, where do they not really know what they're doing? I've located a couple of cities in the US where I would go to. And my requirements are I want to make sure there's enough population, you know, over a million people in the city. I want to make sure the labor laws are pretty friendly, that the business laws are pretty friendly. So it's easy to set up a business. I would, like I said, I always want to hire one part-time local manager on site. So those would be my requirements to expand. And if a listener is listening to this and wants to figure out what industry to get into, I think the biggest thing to look at is what industry are you able to have a lot of the management pieces out of the country? I think that's key. You don't want too many boots on the ground. You probably do need at least one boot on the ground, but you don't need too many. So if you look at different businesses and you figure out which of the businesses can be outsourced, basically, or what jobs could be managed remotely, I think that is the key. Like roofing contracting, probably not the way to go. Probably not the way to go. Because you need like the foreman and... (laughs) Some examples would be mobile car washing, local landscaping. I mean, a lot of these things you just... These are enormous markets. 
enormous markets where you do not need an office because the work is done off site. You don't do work in an office, right? These are things where people go from their home directly to just enormous. I think the opportunity is absolutely enormous. And in some ways, these opportunities are very legible as well. Like, whereas on the internet, things are a little bit unclear. Like you can kind of say, I mean, you've already expanded into two cities, right? Correct. So we, we started in Los Angeles, we expanded to Orange County, which is a little bit south of Los Angeles, and also expanded to San Francisco. So LA and Orange County are similar psych uses, similar management structure. But for San Francisco, that's a market we've been in for a year and a half at least, and completely remote. Our manager there is based in Honduras. So the Honduras manager calls the maid in San Francisco and describes or emails them the information they need in order to do their job. I mean, it's all with technology now. So we have the bookings in their system when we just assign it to them. That's it. And we just have him managing stuff if things go wrong. But everything is tech-based. He could give him a phone call or text as a reminder, but the cleaner already gets alerts through whatever software system we're using. And if you think about it, we could just replicate this in a different city. So I think the next city we're thinking about going to would be San Antonio, which fits a lot of the bills with good labor laws, easy to do business in, over a million people. And I look at the local competition, and I just went to my marketing guys and said, hey, can we beat the local competition here? The answer is, yes, we can. So that's a city where we could just go to and start expanding immediately. And if you think about it, the potential is unlimited. San Antonio, which is in Texas, it's it's not a huge city, but there's so many of these pockets all around the U.S. And even outside of the U.S., there's lots of different pockets of different cities which are just ripe for disruption. So I think the potential is literally limitless because any location in the world can be your market and you just need to figure out where to play. Let's assume that I'm the next young Neil cold calling companies and I hear this podcast and I think, I got to call this guy because made this could be a global phenomenon. Why is this guy in three or four cities? Let's give this guy some money. Let's light a fire under made this. What would that conversation be like from both sides of the table? Is it a good investment for a venture capitalist on the one hand? And on the other, what would you think about taking venture capital? So this will be a two-part answer, I guess. One, because I worked in the VC world. And now I have my own business on this end. So I think it would depend personally on what my goals are. If I wanted to expand nationally and take over the world per se, then I would probably go out and try to find venture capital funding. At that point, though, it is no longer a lifestyle business. So I think it depends a lot on what this person calling me or whoever's asking me about it would want in life. So for example, for me, I want a lifestyle business. I don't want to work 80 hours a week. I don't want to expand and take over the world at this moment. Maybe that could change in the future. But for now, I'm content growing steadily and strongly and actually having a lifestyle business. So in that case, I'd probably say, no, I don't want to take venture capital money because at that point, you do have a different boss. Your boss is your investor in some ways. And so you have to report to someone and you're expected to hit certain growth goals. And personally, that's not what I would want to do. But let's say that mindset changes. At that point, I would want to take funding and try to expand to different cities and grow from there. But if you actually think about the business model of what we're doing, it's not that capital intensive. We have our workers in other countries. You expand to a different city. You need someone as boots on the ground, but there's no office. There's not much overhead. I would be questioning how much money do I really need to do this because there's not that much money that's needed to expand markets. What for you makes a really good lifestyle business? What's that concept mean to you? It's almost like an insult in some business circles. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the venture capital guys would appreciate if I say I have a lifestyle business. <laughs> <laughs> lifestyle business to me means a business which is built around your life. 
So you are not working for the company. The company is working for you in your life. And then it allows you the time to do whatever you want. So I would personally never want to sit on a beach and do nothing. I would want a lifestyle business, which gives me enough money to have freedom where I could work on different projects as I want. So for me, that's the perfect lifestyle business. What is it that you've learned? We were hanging out just a few weeks ago. What is it that you've learned about the world of people who've built lifestyle businesses that might have been surprising to the version of you that had a career? I think the biggest surprise is that you could have very large businesses and still have a lifestyle business. I think the old school way of thinking, or at least the traditional way of thinking, I should say, is that if you want a big company, you got to get funding, you got to work 60 hours a week, you got to go through the grind and, and get it going. And, you know, I think a lot of times the business you have to do at the beginning to grow, but I think you could also grow a company to a very large size and maintain your lifestyle. That's very possible. So I think, especially being in DC and seeing a lot of these people in it who are much larger than we are and still have a fantastic lifestyle and have a different mentality with how they live and how they work. It was honestly refreshing for me. I didn't realize there was another way to live, another way to grow your company until I came across entrepreneurs who were actually doing it. So just seeing it as real, I think was a pretty big game changer for me. And honestly, I think I forgot if I told you, but DCX in Barcelona was my first DC event. I joined the Dynamite Circle, the forum when I started traveling honestly, as kind of a social outlet. You meet different people who are entrepreneurs and traveling, you connect with them and get to go to different cities and have a network. I think that's the biggest benefit for me. Then actually going to this event made it real. You know, seeing these people actually getting together for one common thing, it just made it a lot more real for me. And I think that lit another fire under me saying, oh, wow, these guys are actually doing it. And this is a group I want to be a part of. So it's very cool to see it and make it real. It's useful for me too. You mentioned that a lot of people, they do grow massively under their own terms. And we face a lot of pressure as entrepreneurs too. Like once you got a good thing going from other people in our lives, other entrepreneurs who say, time to get serious, time to get an office. Why are you screwing around with all the remote stuff? And a lot of times those people might not appreciate how much value like your professional staff in Honduras are bringing to the table versus what a quote more serious operation would look like or how much passion that and energy that pulls out of you or but there's always that temptation to quote grow up absolutely and i is funny enough i was speaking with my business coach about this about a month ago because i feel myself facing the pressure right now of okay hey there's this huge potential in front of me expand markets there's a huge opportunity with the local business should i keep expanding because the potential is there that was the big question i mean i think that's a lot of the pressure that entrepreneurs face is how big do you go is it just constantly big and keep growing and i think what i'm settling at is there is a certain medium of happiness to how much income you're having or happiness to how much growth you're having. I don't think it's worth killing myself to keep expanding globally just to make this thing big. For me, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm going to grow at my own terms and make sure I maintain my lifestyle. But I think that external societal pressure of constantly growing, that, that's something that's always there and something I, I just need to battle with. Neil, this is probably the most challenging question I'll ask you. It's simply, is there anything you want to say to the audience? Yeah. I think I was listening to the show and other shows like this and going on blogs a lot. And I think what I came to is analysis paralysis, which prevented me from taking action. And what that means is I would keep reading about stuff and getting ready and never actually taking action and doing it. And I think it happens a lot because you feel very productive reading about stuff and learning it. When in reality, I realized later that if you just do it first and then fix the mistakes afterwards, it works out a lot better. So I think the biggest takeaway is just go for it. 
instead of keep analyzing situations, I think if you think if you just dive into it, similar to maybe what I did, if I just tried out a lot of different things and saw what worked and went from there, that worked out well for me. And that's what I would definitely recommend to anyone trying to get started. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us here on the pod today. Thanks, Dan. Yo, huge thanks to Neil Park. This one is going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash remote local businesses. And I like that bit at the end there about this analysis paralysis, something I think everyone can relate to. It's probably worth diving into that and doing a full episode. So thanks for pulling that one up, Neil. And thanks for sharing your story with these years in Barcelona. I loved your talk. And thanks for sharing a version of that here at the TMBA podcast. We hope you all enjoyed it. And of course, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.